everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Drew Goodman and Julie Brownman podcast. How y'all doing? Top of the morning. It's almost top of the morning. It is almost top of the morning yeah. because it is late at night, which we do this occasionally because we do it after Rockies games. I'd love to tell you it's after a big Rockies victory. It is not. The Rockies, unfortunately, have headed precipitously in the wrong direction, and they lost tonight 9-3 to to the Arizona Diamondbacks. So it was another rough night at Coors Field. But you know what? We're spry still, right? Mm-hmm. And it was Bark in the Park. Which you that, guys did a pretty good job on the broadcast. That is my favorite night of the year because I and and I know you do too. I love dogs, love 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 dogs. I have an English sheepdog at home and a golden at home, and they're the absolute best. I love barking the park night um, because of that because it's our four legged friends. But I also love barking the park night because Spilly relate so well to those dogs and he does it every year you know he goes up to like the bull mastiff or the great day and he goes look at this little chihuahua <laughs> did you see him lying on the ground with his legs because there was a dog lying a big dog too uh-huh. lying on the ground with his feet you know he was like out with his four legs in the air like he was you know doa right yeah and spilly did the same thing he did the complete hit holding the microphone with his with his legs up in the air like he was sleeping next to that dog he's just, like a little kid he is very much like a little kid. Which will be fun to work with. Oh, he's great. He's hysterical. Yeah. He, right. He's naturally funny. He's self-deprecating. But Bark in the Park Night is a blast because it's the dogs. It fortunately was, you know, Spilly interacting with the dogs, and it was a distraction from what was going on on the field. Arizona hit four home runs off Jeff Hoffman in the first two innings. Not good. That was not good. So you are back from a road trip where you went to Houston and you went to San Diego. Did you realize how hot it is in Houston in the summer? Uh, I think I knew that, and I think I knew the humidity is terrible. Yeah, the humidity is its like three degrees cooler than the sun <laughs> at this time of year. That sounds terrible. Um, so you were telling me a story where you were lifting and it was getting kind of gross. Um, my oldest son was with me, Jacob, and uh, we, we lift together, but I always go running first. Mm-hmm. And so I met him in the weight room each day. And each day I got reprimanded by my 21-year-old because I'm sopping wet. Now, I'm putting towels down everywhere. I'm not like, you know, don't give me that look. <laughs> I just, I've just I'm seen this I'm putting towels before. <laughs> everywhere. It's not like I'm, I'm splattering sweat on you as you try to work uh, out. Yeah. There was some decorum in how <laughs> I moved around the weight room. Okay. But I got, I got you know, I, I got ripped by my kid every day. Yeah, so I'll just very quick story. I so I do yoga and um you, have you ever done yoga? I haven't. You keep threatening to drag me to a class. At mm-hmm. some point I will shock you and I will show up. I've never <laughs> done yoga. Is this like what, what do they call it? super hot yoga or There's different there's, there's Burkham, different uh, what's that guy's name? Um, Burkham yoga. A, vinyasa and yeah, maybe Burkham. Okay. I don't know. But I just there's super hot, there's right? Super hot, which is horrific. It's oh. horrific. So why do I want to do this? Well, even in regular yoga, I just, there, I'm not going to, okay. I was next to this guy and he, he made this pose and he was sweating so much. The sweat sprayed everywhere. Picked up my mat, walked out. That's I would I too. Yeah, it's disgusting. Um, speaking of disgusting. Well, that's a great sales <laughs> pitch for me to go do yoga with you. Boy, I can't wait. <laughs> okay. Let so- me know when Fred the big sweater's there. <laughs> We'll put, you, we'll put you right next to him. I don't want to go as far as disgusting, but I got to tell you, I was talking to Jesse about this before you got here. This season, 
Um, we do have an interview, by the way, coming up with Kyle Freeland, which you caught up with him, which is going to be fantastic. It's going to be a two-parter. And so I'm looking forward to that. So I want to tell people, our listeners, that this season, it is a disappointment. It feels different, Drew. It feels a different disappointment than past years when the Rockies have been down. I know it's because I, I felt like this team had turned the corner. I felt like there was enough of a sample size to say, okay, this is, it's going to be different here. And that's why this is such a bummer this year. It's That's not unfair. That is not unfair for people in the media, for fans, for the players inside the clubhouse, for the guys on the third floor that that make the decisions. It's, it's a grand disappointment because they're expectations. And when you have lofty expectations, which were not unreasonable, they've been to the postseason the last couple of years, mm-hmm. and then this happens, and you can't just point to your finger and say, well, look, we've had so many injuries to key players that that's the explanation. They've, by and large, been pretty healthy. I know Dahl, you know, has been on the disabled, or it's not the disabled list anymore, the injured list the last week or so, but, you know, the season obviously had already turned south prior to that. They have been healthy, and that, you know, contributes to the disappointment. So you try to put your finger on it. For me, it always begins with pitching. The sport will never change. We say that's you know when the kids are ten years old, twelve years old, on on up through the best league in the world, the big leagues. You have to pitch, and their starting pitching has a an ERA a run and a half higher than last year. So it starts there, but you know it, it's not just them. The bullpen started out the season pretty well. They've not pitched well. Um, offensively poor start. Then they then for two months they were really good, and now lately they haven't been very good. So all in all, you add it up, and Bill Parcells' line applies. You are what the record says you are, and the Rockies, you know, as of this taping, are 14 games beneath 500. Nobody saw that coming. As far as the pitching goes, do we? I guess not know who these guys are. Do we not know who Kyle Freeland is? Do we not know who Marquez is? I thought we were kind of learning about them last year and maybe could could say, okay, this is this this is this style and this is what we can expect from him. I don't know if I can say that anymore. I think for the most part, Herman Marquez has been good again. His ERA is higher than last year because he's had a a couple of really bad ones. He had that eleven run game in whatever it was, a couple of innings. Uh, you know, his last one, eight strong innings. I think four times he's thrown eight, in, eight innings. So, you know what? He, he's he been pretty steady. John Gray, you and I have discussed him before. I think John um, has been, last couple of starts haven't been great. I think he's been fatigued. He, he missed his start tonight. He's pushed back a few days because he had turned his ankle. Um, you know, pretty solid year for John. Uh, again, nobody, Julie, to your observation, saw Kyle Freeland dropping off the way he has. I believe in Kyle Freeland. I think he's going to be fine. I think uh, the stuff is still really good. Uh, He will learn from this. I know that's a sports cliche. He'll be better for it down the road. Uh, You know, he may look back at his career and his best year, maybe that year last year that he had where where he had a a 285. But I was talking to Darnell Coles, who's a, a longtime big league hitting coach. He was with Milwaukee the last few years. He's the hitting coach now for Arizona. And he said, I'd take that guy in a New York minute. He said that series with us last year when he and he's talking now from Milwaukee's perspective. 
He said, I don't know how it would have turned out. He goes, but I think it would have been different had Freeland pitched in that series. Of course, he pitched in the game, in the wild card game to beat Chicago. He said, we wanted no part of him. He said, he's going to be fine. That That's somebody on the outside observing. I hope so. I hope so. Because he's a, he's a good guy. He's a local guy. And he had such good stuff last year. And he really kind of defined, um, I don't want to say the culture of the team, but he gave him an edge, right? And sure. so... I guess we talked about this before the show. So who is that guy again that's doing that in the clubhouse right now for the Rockies that's trying to get them I mean, a month and a half left to go in the season? They're not making it to the playoffs, but who's kind of getting them going right now? I think what you're alluding to is something that that is qualitative you can't quantify, and that is the the personality uh, the guy that that can lighten the mood, who brings energy on the days where there is no energy. Guess what? When the Dodgers roll to town, you don't have to worry about guys getting up, right? When the Boston Red Sh- Red Sox show up, what's her name again? <laughs> when, when, it's late. When the Red Sox show up, you don't need energy. But you play 162, man. That's that's a ton of games, and. You need on June 18th, on Wednesday, July 11th, on on August 12th against Miami. You know, the guy that when everybody seems flat, they're going to be professional. The guy like a Gerardo Parra who's come skidding into the clubhouse, Juliana Scooter, like he so frequently did. Mm-hmm. And he said, let's go, mofos. And we'll leave it at that. And guys start laughing because he's funny. Or Cargo, who could put his arm around Nolan and say, dude, chill out. Stop grinding. You're a great player. Here's the back of your baseball card. That's really, really good. Mm-hmm. You're all right, dude. And and Nolan would crack a smile. And he goes out and he, and he plays a little more relaxed. Mm-hmm. Everybody plays a little more relaxed. Again, you can't quantify it. You can't say, okay, when Gerardo skidded into the clubhouse and said, let's go, guys. Did they win that night? But. That's why it's so hard. Roster composition. You need good players, right? You need good pitching. We understand that. But you also need, you can't have 25 grinders, right? Mm-hmm. You got to have some guys that that live with a little more joy during the season. So what do the Rockies lose now that Chris Iannetta is not on the team? In the clubhouse or play on the field? Or I didn't know. Did you see that coming? I didn't see that coming. Um, you know, now when you step back. You understand it because now it's about taking a look at some younger players, trying to start to evaluate what you have going forward and some of the offseason decisions you'll make, where you feel you'll be comfortable, and where you feel like, okay, we really got to address this maybe outside the organization. So Dom Nunez is a, is a guy that's been in the minor leagues for seven years. He was drafted by the Rockies out of a California high school. Always been good defensively. Doesn't hit for average, but hits for some power. Hits a home run tonight in his big league debut. What a wonderful his family's there. Yeah, his family's there. Awesome moment. It was it was the moment of the night in an otherwise save, save for the pooches mm-hmm. um, in an otherwise dismal night. So they want to see what he's what he's got. So he'll work with Tony Walters the final six seven weeks, and and they'll have a little bit better feel for what this guy potentially can bring and can be can he be part of the solution or do they have to go outside the organization? Chris, you know, his contract was up at the end of the year. Gotcha. All right. So one guy that definitely will be on the team 
next year. And we can't, I, I actually, I just, this season, I think we just kind of want to put in the rearview mirror and start next year and start anew with Kyle Freeland, right? I mean, I can't wait to see what, how he rebounds next year and just gets a fresh start. You sat down with Kyle in San Diego. No, no, we did it here. We did it uh, yesterday okay. at, at Coors Field. That's all right. You were, I have to say, we have full disclosure, we're transparent on the show. You weren't sure that we actually got this interview. Because technically, as I think I've said before on this program, and I will say it again, I'm a moron. <laughs> so actually, Kyle and I started, we were like six or seven minutes in, uh-huh. and I had to call a timeout. I had to call a 20-second timeout. I said, Kyle, you're going to kill me. I said, I didn't push play record. And he's the best. He goes, ah, no problem. So we, you know, we, we, redid it again and he was a great actor he gave me the same thoughtful answers i love kyle freeland i know colorado loves kyle freeland because he's a Mm -hmm. tj guy he's born and raised used to go to coors field as a toddler and uh, that's kind of where we started and we'll talk about it next I've been involved with Ideal Home Loans for several years now. They're owned by Brent Ivinson. Ideal Home Loans is a terrific lender, and they've been around since 2001. They've been lending money to people all over this state and all over Arizona um, since 2001, and they have a great, great rating from the Better Business Bureau, an A-plus rating. In fact, they're a local direct mortgage banker. One of the things I like best is their employees are salary-based. They're lending specialists, so they're not you know, giving you the heavy sales pitch. They want to make your life right when it comes to maybe helping you pay off some debt, getting the best mortgage possible, getting the best rates possible. Maybe you're refinancing. Perhaps you're looking at uh, upgrading the home that you're in right now. They're the people to go and see. So many people have done it, and so many people have been thrilled that they have. It's Ideal Home Loans, 303 303- 867-7000. That's 303-867-7000. Listen, rates are terrific right now. They're super competitive. You can get a lot more house perhaps than you thought. Give Ideal Home Loans a call. And again, one of their salary-based lending specialists will take care of you. They have been doing a marvelous job for a long, long time. I'm proud to be part of them. They're actually the uh, official lender of the Colorado Rockies as well. And once again, their contact number is 303-867-7000. That's 303-867-7000. Ideal Home Loans. Okay, so I sat down with Kyle Freeland. Everybody knows he grew up here. And I think most people realize he was a Rocky fan from when he was a toddler. And he also got to go to Rocky's games fairly frequently as a kid. Being a kid with my parents, my, my uh, older brother, coming down here uh, to Coors Field, you know, my mom worked at XL Energy, and we'd park, park the car there, walk a few blocks uh, to Coors Field. I remember walking in, getting on that concourse and looking down at the field and thinking, you know, how massive it is. And um, it still looks massive to me, but I can still, you know, remember that, that little kid feeling of, you know, this is like a cathedral. This is, you know, something completely different. It's, it's special. Were you a Walker guy? Were you a Helton guy? Who was the first guy that you said, I want to be like him? Uh, I was all of them, but uh, Walker was one who stood out to me uh, the most uh, growing up watching him. But Todd Helton, like you said, Andres Galarraga, Vinny, all those guys, the Blake Street Bombers, they were, they were something special to me watching them. Do you remind Vinny that uh, you watched him when you were a wee lad? 
all the time. Yeah, you know, it shows shows his age a little bit, but but he enjoys it. I think he I think he loves knowing that um, when he was playing, there was a little kid in the city that he was playing in that really uh, really liked him and really really liked following his uh, his baseball career. At what point in time did you think, hey, you know what, I'm probably better than most of the other guys I'm competing with? Was it eight? Was it ten? Was it twelve? Where you started thinking? I mean, every kid when they're eight, they want to be a big leaguer if they play baseball. But at what point in time do you think? You know what? I I may have a chance at playing beyond high school, and then who knows? Uh, it was right around middle school when I kind of realized that you know I was I was progressing a little bit quicker than than some of my other teammates, and um, and just kind of fed off it. I, I always wanted to be better. I always wanted to continue to learn this game. You know, you can you can never learn enough about this game, and and even when you're done playing, even the best, there's still more room to learn. So taking that into high school. Um, realizing that you know probably going to be a pitcher more than more than a position player, and and I was fine with that because I, I loved pitching. It was, it was something I fell in love with at a young age. Once I was able to start doing it and just progress through that, and uh, you know, colleges uh, liked my arm a little more than my bat. When you were starting to pitch, what was the most appealing part of being a pitcher full time? Having that control of the game where it the game starts and stops with you um you're you're in control you have the ball you decide when it's time to throw to the hitter you decide what pitch everything that it goes into with controlling the game at that point i i loved i loved you know competing on the mound being the guy to get the big out make the big pitch and and uh, and help carry the team so tell us the story when you first get to Evansville, West Carroll, Jamie's brother recruited you, and you introduce him to your parents. You still had something on your mind, though, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, got there. It was, one, it was one of the first few days. We were still, you know, loading up the dorm, you know, getting, getting things ready, and we made our way over to uh, uh, the baseball offices and uh, went up to went up to Wes's office, sat down, talked to him a little bit, and I asked him uh, what are the chances I could be a possible two-way player here. He goes, well, uh can you run a six six sixty? I said no, I don't, I don't think so. He goes, okay, well our best outfielder can. If you can't beat him, then you're not going to be a two way player. <laughs> so that's that's kind of where the the cord was cut, and uh, it was decided that I was going to be uh, a pitcher only. Did you have any ABs at Evansville? No, but I, I definitely tried to bargain for some, uh, especially you know midweek midweek games where you know we needed to bat off the bench. Uh, you know I, I asked Wes multiple times, like I'm ready. I like. I'll, I'll give it my best up there. I'm, I'm ready to hit, but uh, never, never had a college at bat. Did you take BP at a little? Yeah, we, we had a, we had a few times where we had a pitcher's BP. It was uh, always during the fall when we'd have our um, orange versus purple and uh, end of the fall game, and you know you'd have two seniors or upperclassmen draft draft uh, draft their teams, and you'd each have you know, an hour to practice and then the next day you play and during that hour of practice it was it was just strictly BP. So the position players would hit and then the last group would be pitchers and and of of course we were just the whole time just all trying to go yard. When you were at TJ TJ has a great history, but years ago, and a lot of times the DPS schools now get overlooked in a lot of athletics. Did did you feel like you know what not everybody's seeing me Evansville's a great you know nice program but I know guys got on you late did, did that have a little add to a chip on your shoulder so to speak 
A little bit, yeah. I mean, baseball's still growing in the state, and, and I'm glad it's getting, you know, bigger and bigger and getting more and more recognition. Um, but, yeah, being, you know, a DPS kid, uh, I mean, nothing against, you know, the Valor Christians, Chatfields, Cherry Creek schools. You know, they're great programs, but, you know, kind of being that, that smaller school where, like you said, kind of overlooked a little bit uh, with their players, yeah, left a little chip on my shoulder. And, and uh, you know, Evansville was the first school to recruit me, uh, ended up signing there and playing there, and, you know, couldn't have asked for a better experience and, and a better program to, to be at to grow um, socially, baseball-wise. I have lifelong friends from there. I keep in touch with Wes all the time. And I, I really couldn't ask for a better experience. And you got an early opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one in my freshman year, I was a Sunday starter. Uh, it was something I was uh, told I had a chance at when I when I first got there. Um, but definitely, you know, nothing's going to be given to you. You gotta you gotta work for it. Um, end up earning a Sunday spot, and then sophomore junior year, I was a Friday night starter both years. And uh, junior year, we ended up winning the Missouri Valley Conference. And again, at what point in time in your collegiate career did you realize you are a professional prospect and then obviously you became an elite prospect your junior year? So after my freshman year, I went up to uh, Alaska to play in that collegiate league, which um, years ago, the Alaska League and the Cape Cod League were the two top tier leagues to, to play in um, if, if you're very serious about baseball. And I went up there, and I, I had an incredible season. First start was horrible, and then after that, I just, you know, was mowing guys down and, you know, ended up being, you know, pitcher of the year there, um, almost setting an ERA record, and had a, had a great summer. And that's where I kind of started getting on um, a lot of radars for, for major league teams. And after that, you know, I, I knew I, I had something going. I, I knew what I was capable of. Sophomore year at Evansville wasn't the greatest um, didn't focus too much on, on my body, on my craft. I was kind of messing around a little bit too much. And then I got an invite to the Cape Cod League. That's where it hit me. Like, hey, you're going into the end of your draft year. Um, this is probably the most one of the most important years of your life. And so I, I sat down. I created a plan that I wanted to execute that summer, and that was to get my body in better shape, improve my craft. I knew I was going to be going up against, you know, the best collegiate athletes in baseball, in the United States, and and I knew I had, I had to work if I wanted to get my name out there. And obviously, Cape Cod Baseball League speaks for itself. And I, I was able to do that again. I, I started off the season up there um, with a horrible outing, and it was only days after my grandma passed. And she was she was the only uh, grandparent that I really got to know. Um, so that was that was a little tough. And and once I was able to move past that and really you know set my sights on what i wanted to do you know just again it was like the uh, alaska league where i started mowing, mowing guys down having a lot of success um and playing with some of the best athletes up there and, and got my name out even on an even bigger scale with major league teams one of the things i admire the most about you and i've said this countless times over the last couple plus years about you is that you pitch and compete with a chip on your shoulder it's a it's a phrase i used earlier uh i'm i'm big about that if you ask my three boys i talk about that all the time because uh, i'll take guys with a chip on their shoulder over a pretty guy every day of the week did you always have that um i think it i think it started um 
late late in high school when I was I was playing good baseball and I was playing with you know guys who were getting recruited by big name schools and I was you know playing right there with them you know putting up the same numbers they were putting up and for some reason I I wasn't getting any of that attention and it it, it kind of pissed me off a little bit um, and I, I just kind of use that to fuel the fire and you know playing with the chip on your on your shoulder can kind of make things things come a little bit easier for you because you kind of have that that anger that that passion that you know i'm i'm gonna beat this other guy because i, I have something I'm, I'm truly playing for very hard and that, that's where it started and then you know continued where evansville not a bad program at all missouri valley conference is one of the best mid majors out there and uh and we showed at evansville that you know we we're looking to you know put that name on a national scale and my junior year we ended up doing that when you go out on the mound, do you have to manufacture start to start that chip that, hey, they don't believe in me? Whatever it is, do you still do that? Uh, I don't have to manufacture it. I mean, it, it's it's there for me day in day out. I still get I still get butterflies before starts. I still get you know very excited to to play this game. And I think you know if you don't have that feeling in your belly every every time you get to play this game. Uh, something's wrong you're, you're doing something wrong you're not playing for the right reasons and I mean, that, that's just my belief um but you know every every single day is is a chance to get better out here and you get and you get to do it at the at the highest level and i mean there in my mind there's nothing better than that so i'm listening to that interview and i'm thinking about goalies in hockey and goalies and pitchers to me are the same kind of athletes different sports same mindset because it's all on you. These are not the guys that are these are the guys that are not afraid of the spotlight. They want to be the they want to be the one. They want to be even in basketball. They want to be the guy with that last shot. And that says something about the character of these guys, the character of Kyle Freeland and really how strong you have to be to be in one of those positions. You have to be tough-minded because every moment starts with you. Action does not commence unless you throw the ball over the plate, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I'm with you, Julie. He, you have to want that. You have to desire that. You have to be unafraid of the consequences when inevitably it doesn't always go well. And because it's not always going to go well. Well, I mean, this this season is a contrast, and we'll get into that in part two with Kyle, but it's a contrast, obviously, to what transpired for him a year ago. What you kind of all, toll do you think it's it's taken on him? I, I think it's helped mature him, not that mm-hmm. he was immature before. I, I analogize it to anybody who's who's lived a little bit, right? When you're 30, you have a little more life experience than when you're 20, even though you think you're kind of old when you're 20 and you're a sophomore or junior in college, right? Right. And then when you're 40 or you're 50 – you can look back on different the wisdom comes with living man and so he's he's living at the big league level and he's gaining wisdom yeah and some of that wisdom is painful yeah i i agree with that uh also has the you like guys with a chip on their shoulder kyle subliminally has a bit of a chip on his shoulder not a bit he's got a big chip on his shoulder which i i admire i really do i mean i think i've pontificated on this subject in the past but i will take 25 chip on the shoulder guys over 25 pretty guys every day of the week i mean you got to have some talent right Mm -hmm. but 
chip on the shoulder guy will, even if it's contrived, find some reason to kick your ass. DJ LeMayhew is a chip on the shoulder guy, right? You we talked, talked about, about that yep. when, when when we visited with him a couple weeks ago. Kyle's got that. That's why, even though this has been a really tough year for Kyle, right, that I'm really confident he's going to be okay. Yeah, I think he is. I think he's going to be okay. Just listening to that, you think he's going to be okay. So coming up next week, we're going to do part two, and we're going to talk about specific moments in his career that were so special and so memorable. And speaking of Kyle, we are now going to play the game of the night. Usually it's 20 questions, I think. The game is going to be called 10 questions because we're on a time limit here because it's a little late. Okay. If you were starting a team, you could not pick Nolan, Trevor, or Kyle. Who are you picking on the Rockies roster? You know me. I always have to ask a question before I answer (laughs) a question. Is this for one year, for one game, or for five years? (laughs) I did this to you last time. You're starting your, your team. It's like the expansion draft. This is your pick. To start your team, who are you picking? I'll take Charlie Blackman because Charlie Blackman prepares like nobody else and he can flat rake. And now I have my leadoff guy or I can bat him third if I if I need to. I mean, Charlie's put up extraordinary numbers. He's a four-time all-star. I got Charlie Blackman. Okay. And the pitcher would be Marquez? And I got, oh, I, I got two picks? Yeah, I just amended okay. the game. I get Herman. Yep. Okay. When a reliever comes into the game lately what's that has not had a good season what's the first thing that pops into your head i'm not naming names lordy lordy please (laughs) get three outs without them getting runs um Yeah, I mean, you, 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 you consistency. We've lacked yeah. consistency. You don't know what you're going to get. Like Brian Shaw the other night was lights out. And in his previous outing, he he struggled. The, mm-hmm. the Rockies have not had, and this is not speaking out of school. They, if they were sitting here doing the podcast with us and say, yeah, not too many guys other than Scott Oberg have, have run off, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11 really good outings in a row. If you if you pitch out of the bullpen, it's not like you're going to be perfect 65, 70 times. Of course mm-hmm. not. But there have been too many, too good, too bad, too good, one bad, three decent, you know, three not so good. Consistency. Scott Oberg's a pretty good story, actually, from where he's been to where he is now. I mean, that's a, a bright spot on the team. Okay, so from what the Broncos have done so far in the preseason, just a couple games in, are you getting a sense of who this team is, or is this way too early? Way too early. Way too early. You know, they – first of all, preseason's a joke. So how, can, you how, can, how can you get a f- – yes, absolutely. I've been saying that for years. Do you know – you're too young to remember this. They used mm, to play six – I'm. They used to play six preseason games. That would be so painful. They played 14 regular season games. So they played half a season ostensibly that didn't count. It was dumb. Four is dumb. They scrimmage, and and I and I know coaches like when they scrimmage against another team and practice with another team because then you're going against you know different schemes, different personnel. But I don't have a feel yet because the starters haven't played that much. Uh, Rolling Stones were just in town. Looked online. You can pay $35,000 to have a meet and greet with Rolling Stones. And it's bef- you get two really good seats, you get to meet the band before, and you get your picture taken with the Rolling Stones. Is there anybody out there, dead or alive, 
I mean, dead or alive, Jesse, that you would pay, I'm not talking 35 grand, but uncomfortable, double, double digits to meet. Double digits, 50 bucks, 10 bucks? I meant 10,000 or oh, above. 10, <laughs> Julie, you know me well. If they don't want to meet me for free, <laughs> I ain't paying to meet anybody. But to to play along with your game. Okay. In history? In history. I, how many do I get? Is it like a golf foursome? Do I get three? Two. I get two. Got to pay for it, but you get two. I'm going to take Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. and Abraham Lincoln. What's your first question for Abe? Wow. Well, I mean, shoot, we just got a date. <laughs> this cost up okay. 35 grand. <laughs> I'd say, Abe, what do you got? You just cost me 35 grand. Just something to ponder. Yeah. Um, did you think, did you think throughout the Civil War that your side would win out from not only win the war, but from an ideological standpoint? That's a good question. That's worth at least $35,000. Based on their winning percentage, this is the third best Dodgers team in franchise history, and they've got a long history. Do you think they're going to win the World Series? Not from what I've seen. And the Dodgers are really, really good. Um, you mentioned when we opened the show that the Rockies just came off a road trip and we were in Houston for two games. Mm-hmm. Houston now is going to roll Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, right, Zach Granke. Zach Granke. Yep. And that lineup is stupid. <laughs> and they play great defense. So the Dodgers are really good and really impressive. And I think they get to the World Series. And I think for the third straight year – they're going to go home disappointed because Houston's going to win it all. I wouldn't hate that. I'd love to see that, actually. Um, what surprises you most about the the Rockies this season? And not you pitching is, can't say pitching. I can't say pitching? No. Nope. Because that, I didn't think they would drop off from a starting rotation standpoint um, like they have. We were talking earlier, they're, run, they're averaging a run and a half more um, than they did a year ago against mm-hmm. them. So that I'm not allowed to, but that would be that would be number one. The other thing is, Julie, this may surprise you. The Rockies have hit 154 home runs. They did not hit a home run tonight. They lost nine to three. They've allowed 190 home runs. This is the year of the home run. Twenty four teams are on pace to hit 200 home runs. Five years ago, only one team hit wow. 200 home runs. The Rockies playing at Coors Field with four All Stars in their lineup. Are, are one of the six teams not on pace to hit 200 home runs. That is surprising. I did not know that. Yeah. That's an in, that's an interesting stat. Buddy Black is cool as a cat. Love dealing with him. Um, doesn't seem to get very stressed. Besides Buddy, who's the best manager in baseball to deal with and who's the worst manager to deal with? Who do you go, oh, I can't wait to see this guy, and who do you go, nah, I'm not even going to swing by the presser. Um, I, I know because we spent so much time, as you're aware, Julie, in the National League West. Uh, I know Dave Roberts well. I knew him late in his career, and and I've known him at, at his various stops. Uh, I, I really like Dave quite a bit. Um, I love Bruce Bochy, and I know Bochy is a very good friend of yours. 
Um, Boach is Boach is wonderful. I think everybody in baseball is going to miss him, especially the the folks that got to know him a little bit. You know, down the road in San Diego, you know, Andy Green, solid relationship. Again, you get to know the guys mm-hmm. um, in your division. But I want to know the, who's a jerk. Um, the the one guy that pops into my mind, and I don't deal with him much because he's now in the other league. But when he was with Milwaukee. Ned Yost was always kind of prickly to deal with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you sometimes compare notes with other people and other guys would say, yeah, you know, he's not a joy to work with. And he's had, you know, listen, he's had a great run in, in Kansas City. They're rebuilding now, but he went to the World Series a couple of times, won a world championship. So, you know, well thought of as a manager. But he and he, and he may have come around a little bit because, again, I haven't we don't see him very much. Mm-hmm. But I remember. Back in his days with Milwaukee, I was like, you know what? Kind of over it. We're good. A couple more questions. Who is the worst superstar to deal with? Now, I'm dating myself, but I actually had interactions with Barry Bonds, which that's not surprising that he was. I mean, he is an all-time kind of jerk. He really, really I, was. For whatever reason, he I was okay with him, or he was okay with me. And I, mm-hmm. I was okay with him. He could care less about me. But he he was – Barry, to me – was like that dog that that has the sense of fear. So if you kind of walked up to him and were like, oh, I wonder what I'm going to get, he sensed that you were feared, you feared him. And he probably would give you what you feared most. And that was, you know, he was probably a jackass. If you went up to him, mm-hmm. said, hey, you know, I'm doing my gig. This is what I do. And, and you, you know, had a little bounce in your step or whatever. I think he <laughs> more often than not would show you the proper respect. I, you know, I have a story when this was in 07 or I think it maybe 07 or 08. And somewhere around that time frame, late in Barry's career, Matt Holiday had become a superstar. And we were doing a big feature on on Matt Holiday. We were getting sound from a number of, you know, major players around the league on Matt Holiday. And and we felt like, boy, if we get Barry Bonds who's in the division, that would be the coup de grace. And I and I told whoever was producing, I said, "You know what? I'll I'll give it a whirl." And so I went over to Barry Bonds in the clubhouse and I kept our camera guy, Charlie Felix, who's wonderful. I kept I said, "Charlie, hang out on the other side." And I said, "If I, you know, wave you over, then come over." And so I went up to Barry and and we just started shooting the shit for like literally he was in a good space and we're talking for like 20 minutes not about matt holiday just talking about baseball Mm -hmm. and i said hey barry i said we're doing this thing on matt holiday i said do you mind can i ask you one question on tape so we have your thoughts on on matt holiday i promise you one question he said yeah no problem so i waved charlie over charlie comes over i asked him you know what's your thoughts on matt holiday he went on for because t- I remember this, he went on on tape for two minutes and nine seconds. Think about that: two minutes and nine seconds. And he was talking about how much he admired Holiday, how he's watched him grow, and what a great swing he has. He goes on and on and on. You know, we're blown away. It's I almost did the mic drop as soon as he was done. I said, "Barry, <laughs> thanks, man. I told you one question. Have a good game tonight." Boom, shook hands and walked off. So I always thought about that. And said, you know, it depends. Now, on the on the other side, across mm-hmm. the clubhouse for many years was Jeff Kent. Jeff Kent was a superstar, borderline Hall of, of Fame player. Yeah. Not kind of a jerk. He was a jerk to everybody. So as bad as Barry's reputation was, mm-hmm. those in San Francisco know that Kent was worse. Hmm. Okay, last question. Uh, what's the weirdest thing or person you've ever seen at a baseball game or sporting event? 
the weirdest person or thing you've ever looked out at and been like, that's not right. What I see right now. Who is the guy? Well, Marlon's man Mm -hmm. who's everywhere. Mm -hmm. What's that about? (laughs) Right. And my and my man with the um, rainbow hair, John three sixteen, who was mm-hmm. like Marlon's man and showed up at every sporting event. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Anything at Coors what. Field? It's pretty. It's pretty easy going at Coors, right? Yeah, I don't. You know what? I don't. Do you see us out I there, Drew? See, we see you. I don't see as much <laughs> as you guys. We see you. You see me. Yeah, no, we're throwing you're... out the. Um, do you try and huck it at people when you're throwing out the? Pot they don't. I the... wish there was more weight in the cracker jacks because <laughs> they can't go very far. You know, the best at throwing them was Frazier. Uh-huh. Frazier had the pretty good frisbee mm-hmm. toss going. Mm-hmm. Spilly's getting good, kind of throwing them overhand. Mm-hmm. They just don't travel like you'd like them to. Okay, so everybody that's listening, next time look up and see. You know, evaluate Drew's throwing the Cracker Jacks. Can they see me? Yeah, we can see you. You can? Yeah. Just okay. so, I don't want to make you nervous, but yeah. Okay. We can see you when you're throwing out the Cracker Jacks. Yeah. Uh, that is the end of the podcast coming up next week. Looking forward to Kyle Freeland number two. And you'll be on the road. You we, are going to be... Where are we going? We're going to Arizona. Yeah, you'll be in Arizona. And then St. Louis. Yeah. Which will be really cool temperature-wise this and time humid. of year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'll be great. See you next week. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Drew Goodman Podcast with Julie Brownman. Remember, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And remember, check out our website at thedrewgoodmanpodcast.com.